I kind of thought about it and I was like, you know what, for the price of taking a class, it's roughly the same amount to rent out this gallery space. My guest on this episode of the Well-Fed Podcast is artist and my good friend, Katie Hector. Katie and I both met while studying at university and worked together on a few projects uh, while we were there. Since then, Katie has gone on to opening up her own gallery uh, that she's co-directing now. She is also exhibiting her work at a number of exhibitions, not only here in uh, New York and the New Jersey area, but also internationally, and continues to organize, curate, and even perform in shows today. So, Katie, thank you for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you for coming by. So we're in your studio today, and uh, it's great to see all the work that, you know, all the work in progress and all the pieces that you have hanging here. Um, But it's... That didn't happen overnight, and um, I think I'm really excited to kind of chat with you a little bit about that. You know, having known each other for a little bit, I actually know very little about before I met you in school. Could you tell me about, you know, who was Katie Hector growing up? I've always been the kid on the playground or in school that was, like, drawing incessantly in my notebook. But I think really 16 was the age in which I had... I had a couple good mentors in high school during our class that took me in and opened me up to a community of artists outside of school. So it was this um, community of Trenton-based artists that had their own initiative, had their own mission, their own studio practices. And so as a 16-year-old, to have all these you know, professional artists kind of show me the ropes in a, in a little Take way. Under, your, under their wing. Totally, yeah. They really involved me on a lot of different levels and, and made sure that I was present and felt included in everything, in shows, in organizing different events. So if I were to trace it back to something specific, I would say... That's prob- when it all started. Probably started when I was about 16. You're originally from New Jersey as well, right? Yes. Yep. So you grew up uh, in Trenton or...? I grew up Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Okay. So I guess we're the most known for the Lawrenceville School, but it's okay. like a little suburb right in between like Princeton and Trenton. What were some of the pieces of art that stood out to you? If you can remember as a kid, you know, what were, what were you looking at? I mean, Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I, I had a grandmother that was really, really, she loved Andrew Wyeth okay. a bunch. So what, we would, what was his work? His style. So he's, Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't remember what state he grew up in, but it was more North. Um, and he came from, um, there are a couple of generations of Wyeth artists, and each one had their own style. I think the grandfather was like an illustrator. Okay. Um, the son did these kind of morbid, I don't know, more reflective scenes, either portraits or landscapes or um, figurative work. And then the son was, uh, his son was kind of more of like in the line of like pop art, so mm-hmm. some of Andy Warhol's crew. Um, were there any kind of hints as to, you know, being interested in, in painting or photography or anything like that, that you started to think about when you were younger? Um, I think I've always been a painter mm-hmm. and I think maybe, maybe a drawer at times when I couldn't paint. Luckily, my grandfather was a watercolorist. So growing up, I had a lot of exposure to materials and to, you know, um, different mediums not just crayola crayons yeah i mean it was still very much that but also you know it was also really nice to you know every holiday wish list was always just like give me paper give me art supplies let's go to ac more sure yeah you know whatever um, michael's became very familiar to me when i was yeah, a kid as well it was a total like uh playland so so yeah that was kind of the the childhood introduction you went on to continue studying art and fine arts in uh, after high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, as a kid coming out of, of high school, you kind of you have all this pressure to uh, apply to colleges and, and continue to look around. And mm-hmm. at that point, you can kind of be overwhelmed. You know, was there anything that you had in mind going from high school? Obviously, you knew that you wanted to continue studying, but did you have a, a certain thought of where you wanted to go or? It was really interesting. It was interesting to end up at, um, not end up, but to go to Rutgers. Um, You know, all throughout high school, I was very much a portrait painter and, you know, uh, was doing representational work, figurative work. And so I didn't know whether I wanted to go to an academy and really kind of shore up those skills that I had already been developing or um, Rutgers was such a is such a beautiful, interesting place because they taught you they taught you fundamentals, but it was definitely more of a conceptual school, mm-hmm. which 
on a lot of levels, I didn't have any knowledge of what that was like going into it. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Cause in, it's very much about the thinking and the process and not so much the actual, exec- I don't want to say not so much about the execution, but what that comes out to be, uh, and the medium that it's used is, is really open-ended. Whereas the idea is really the, the kind of product. Yeah. I would say it, there's a, there's a priority ranking. Mm-hmm. So the concept is definitely the priority and, you know, your career is to find that, um, find that medium that matches your, your concept. Were there any other schools that you were considering before you landed at Rutgers? I think I, uh, I considered a couple somewhere, somewhere in the city. I guess the growing up in New Jersey, there are two options (laughs) seemingly, um, in terms of bigger cities. So it's either Philadelphia or New York. As an 18 year old, I knew I wasn't ready to move to New York city. I was very scared of it in a way. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is going to be a lot if I move here. So I avoided that. But I knew that Philly wasn't the right place either, necessarily. Yeah, I'm really happy that, that I did go to Rutgers. And definitely that program as well. You entered the program, and I, I, you kind of mentioned already that it was, it was very conceptual and something that you never really, uh, I guess, imagined walking into. I think, you know, going into school, you kind of have this idea that you're going to learn to hone your skills as a painter and, you know, more foundational stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, how did that change you over time, you know, from when you entered to when you left? Well, I think I held out for a while. Even on the <laughs> even on the bike ride over here this morning, I was thinking back to a conversation I had with um, Mark Handelman, in which I was just a, you know, what, a 19-year-old or something like that. And I had sold some work in high school and had gotten a decent amount of money from from selling and I felt really good about it and that was like portraiture and Mm -hmm. things that are more accessible for people and I remember talking to him about how there was a market for artists that were under 18 or something and just like laughing this morning about how naive that could possibly sound and what does that what does that even mean and if I was a professor now hearing that like (laughs) what would my reaction be but yeah I I feel like it took me a number of years to in that same way as like um, the things that you're familiar with, so portraiture, the things that are validated, selling artwork, things that are more acceptable and moving away from that with a conceptual education into things that are more abstract or more interdisciplinary. It takes a long time. and To kind of let, not only let go, but be comfortable with the idea that uh, you're not necessarily doing traditional practices so yeah, to say it's a weird new territory and so you feel yeah it's this constant like um you know put your left foot in take your left foot out kind of thing but eventually you 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 just find out whatever suits you um so for me it took me until thesis year to really let go of portraiture or figuration as i knew it and just start working more formally which i've done ever since so mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you know, the the program is four years, so mm-hmm. it wasn't until after three of those that you actually decided, or not necessarily decided, but kind of came to grips and, and started understanding, you know, somewhat of the teachings that have been from the past three years and yeah. so to say. Yeah, yeah, it took It took a while, and it took a lot of different influences as well. You know, part of the program that I really liked was you weren't just a painter or you weren't just a you know, in one department. So I took printmaking, I took video classes, I took, you know, some of the foundational courses were very interdisciplinary. And so that part of the education, I think, is so incredibly valid and valuable and has definitely transcended into my practice now. What are some of the things that you kind of remember as a student, you know, uh, that stand out to you that you still remember to this day? Um, Of course, everyone has their stories about like that one professor. So for me, I really feel like that was um, Rafael Ortiz. Um, I don't know if you ever took a class with him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I I think he's still there, but amazing, um, amazing artist, thinker, um, teacher as well. But I think a lot of students, you know, leaving home, coming into an institution, being pumped full of all this information they have no idea what to do with, potentially found him quite abrasive and hard to, you know, they're, yeah, they're like, why are you like, you know, it probably felt like he was yelling at 
people, but mm-hmm. in reality, he was just trying to like open their brains, their their little eighteen year old brains. Think outside of what like they're normally used to every day. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, I remember I remember being in his class and very quickly realizing that one to not take things personally because that's you know he's not getting paid to. Make you cry. Yeah. Make you upset. Yeah, pick like little <laughs> pick little kids apart. He's obviously trying to impart something. Um, so once you once you get past that first cloud, it's just like, okay, so let me really pay attention to what he's saying and what he's doing and and why and how. And so that was that was one of the fundamental courses I said that was very interdisciplinary. So we had some some type of rendering or some type of making and process in the class, but we were mostly taught uh, just different ways of thinking, of color, of mm-hmm. um, material. And like you're saying, most of the time it, it looked awful. You know, the final product was not visually appealing. <laughs> sure. It wasn't, um, it wasn't like a masterpiece every time. Or no, like it, was, it was the opposite. It was very clumsy for us to have to do this, but in terms of a, um, in terms of learning and in terms of like imparting another way to think. I think that class is really successful. You kind of mentioned this, and I'm glad you did, because it, it just kind of hit me as well, that I think one of the biggest takeaways that I had was uh, not necessarily taking feedback or, or critiques so so personal, Yeah, which I find to be, I think I've, I've gone to Rutgers once, maybe, or twice here and there for kind of uh, reviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And even in just working every day, with other designers, it's hard because some people take their any kind of feedback very critically and very personally, and mm-hmm. I, that's kind of something that you need to separate yourself with in a sense because otherwise you're almost hurting yourself and working within a bubble. Yeah, you're fighting against a tide essentially, and so not to get too philosophical, but the whole you're always going to change and you're always hopefully welcoming that change on some level. So to do so professionally is just an extension of that. I think I I was particularly prone to not be offended <laughs> and to, sure. to be able to kind of hear things at, for what they were as opposed to... Putting up walls immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would Defending yeah. yourself so, like, so quickly. It's almost like an instinct that you have to... You yeah. Have. I, if anything, I, I definitely lack that instinct. And so <laughs> whenever somebody says something, I... I immediately feel pretty empathetic and say like, oh, why does this person feel this way, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I really try and like jump into their skin and see what they're seeing and kind of have that as the takeaway from it. I think that's also naturally you as well. You're very kind and and as you said, empathetic. Extremely. (laughs) When when we met in school, I kind of got that from you. So beyond uh, the feedback and critiques of work and stuff like that. I, I kind of wanted to get your, your take on this, and this is something I've heard a lot in um, just conversation, listening to other kind of creative lectures and things like that, where mm-hmm. the idea that creativity is something that you're born with versus something that you learn. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of torn because I think there's a little bit of truth to both. Yeah, of um, course. But I'm, I'm curious as to where you kind of may – some of your ideas about it. Well, it's that whole um – you know, in terms of psychology, nature versus nurture basis. Um, and so it will always be a, a cross-section of both. I, I, in terms of my personal experience, being, a, being an artist and being a creative, there's something, there is something that you're born with that, and it's not like a beautiful gift. <laughs> it's not like something that's like romantic or it's an ability to just observe and to like translate. In a different almost, way. I think of it as like a curiosity almost. Absolutely. Total curiosity. Like I said, it's not a good thing because I don't feel like most of the world is set up to, or at least in terms of the United States, is set up to really embrace that. And a lot of what being a creative is to go against a grain or to go against something that's normal. Mm-hmm. I remember in elementary school, I would just get in trouble. Like I was not, I was never a bad kid, but like, I would always just get in trouble in school for doing different things. Um, and it would be for like asking too many questions or mm-hmm. like redirecting a field trip to something that I wanted to look at. Or it's not an overt testing the boundaries, but you're impulsively doing that or instinctually doing that. So I think there is a level of some people are do that more naturally than others. 
thinking back uh, to even when you're so small as a kid, yeah. the ones that are asking the most questions sometimes are immediately shut down. Yeah, yeah it's like a. So it's it's, it's kind of it's it's nice hearing that. Um, yeah, and I think I think it's just you know it's more of a statement about the culture, the society that we're in, because different ones react differently. But yeah, just this innate desire to you know oh what is it you know that's the highest tree let me climb to the top of it like for no other reason sure. just to see what it's like up there yeah to bring it back to um to, to you know school we eventually met during our, our senior year yeah uh, working together on our senior thesis and creating this uh such this good gallery. times yeah, yeah i had a, i think for me that was when i realized um I wanted to continue being a designer, so to say, or going down that path, and because mm-hmm. of the experience that we had um, yeah. creating the the event and curating the ex- exhibition for you know all the student work and things like that. Um, what was your plan? You know, what did you have in mind after after school for you? You even uh, oh you even won uh, an award during our graduation. Oh yeah, there it was, was a Scott Calagione yeah, Award Prize. Cagnignello, I can't can't remember. It's on my bio somewhere. It's a big. Um, it was a big one too. That's like the best prize coming out of Mason Grosser. I, I didn't. I didn't even realize. Like before we started the microphone discussion, just talking about like that I was really a bookworm throughout school and like very nose to the grindstone and I was like I'm here to learn Mm -hmm. um I double majored so I did the BFA but I also majored in art history as well Mm -hmm. and I was just like super into like knowledge but part of that was also being on the student government so that was me representing the visual arts department but there was also dance department theater department Mm -hmm. music department so we'd all meet in this little room I think every week throughout the semesters but that also made me more visible for the deans as well. And I got to form a relationship with them. And their their office was in the Mason Gross building, the Civic Square. So yeah, it was these years. Like, I, th- I think I started student government. Like, we had our orientation. We were brought into Rutgers. And then that day, like, we all got called into our different departments and split up. But I think I went directly to the dean after that initial intro and I was like how can I do something and they're like I don't know student government I'm like great (laughs) um just got involved immediately like literally the first day um and so yeah different things like that where it's a compulsion to just like be as engaged as possible even if and especially if it's things that are like mundane or like the inner workings of things I really like when graduating did you have an idea that you wanted to do a more um, kind of independent process or, or journey as, you know, a practicing artist. So I knew I didn't want to go to grad school immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is usually like, I mean, a lot of kids that we went to school with, that that's a natural step. You kind of just jump right into it. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember, you know, and I tell this quite often, especially when I go back and visit is I remember taking an independent study with Stephen Westfall. And every time he would come and visit the the studio he would be like okay so what programs are you applying to and like sit down in a chair I'd be like (laughs) I'm gonna move to Brooklyn I'm gonna get a job I none you know I I'm hopefully gonna get married and you know just figure it out from there you know the world of academia is just one world and that's the closest like I said earlier is like for an artist there's no distinct path but something that's a little clearer is to remain in the world of academia. Mm-hmm. So it is to go on to get a get a higher degree. It is to teach and then build up to being on a 10-year track. But the thing is I never I never really loved teaching. I never really wanted and I think I might eventually, but I never was jumping out of the blocks and saying like, "Oh, I want to have a classroom of kids or I want something like that." You know, my quest when I was out of school was like, let me figure it out. Like, I want to, I want to see how this works. Very much stepping into the unknown. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I literally, I think we graduated May sixteenth, and moved to Brooklyn June first. Oh wow! Was the first. That's quick. Yeah. And I, it took me a, a year or so of uh, living back home at the parents' place, but that you made that move that yeah. jump immediately. Yeah. There was never. Um, I never gave myself an option, I guess, um, a lot of the way. So there, I do have like a stubbornness to me where it's like, ah, this one thing. So yeah, moved to Brooklyn. It took me about two months to get a job, which 
I was freaking out about at the time. Just every day, pounding the pavement, sending out a bunch of random Craigslist ads kind of thing. I landed pretty quickly this job as the manager of a fabrication studio in Bushwick, but ended up being there for a year and a half. It was in a studio of artists, got to meet so many people. And I think over the course of that year, I made work, but I made it in my apartment, which was great. It was very accessible. But there was still a yearning for, you know, leaving academia, leaving that whole community where you have like just resources and people and critiques all at your feet, essentially, and jumping into a new place where you don't know anyone and mm. you don't have a job. and <laughs> Almost starting all over again. Yeah, you're just, you know. I didn't, um, I didn't realize how fresh the start would be, but it, again, it gave me a lot of agency to figure out how to kind of forces you to get with the program in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely, uh, it took me about two years to kind of get comfortable or feel as though I had like a really good steady rhythm. After about a year and a half, I left the job, my first job, got a second one, which I stepped away from a manager title and actually took a day less of work on purpose because I wanted to have a studio practice and start making that more of a priority. How important is it to kind of almost force, not necessarily force yourself, but put yourself in that situation? It's interesting how often I do that. And I think at this point, it's a certain comfort zone. What I feel comfortable with probably makes people uncomfortable because there is a lot of unknowns. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly, you know, just kind of gauging things seeing how far I can stretch all my resources, seeing how big I can make a project, seeing how much work I can make or how much time I can devote, and just always kind of like assessing those things. Where does this bring us to in, in terms of time? Like, you know, are we far off from when you decided that you were going to also co-open a space uh, in Newark? Yeah, I think I did a lot of things in the in that year and a half to two years where... You, know, you were also organizing events in between yeah, all of us. Like I, I, you know, we mentioned I went to one, one or two in, in the Dumbo area that you had organized. Yeah, true. Okay, so I've done I've done quite a bit of work. Um, I wrote a lot of them down. I'm just gonna let you tell. Okay, yeah, I've I've kind of <laughs> I've glossed over it. I was talking about just the practical, the uh, mundane day jobs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, if I'm being completely honest, there was a two years out of school. There was a massive amount of angst. In terms of like, okay, so how do I do this thing? How do I, what do I need right now? And a lot of those projects came from, unfortunately, they came from a place of angst. But there's also, once you experience that, it's you have two decisions. You can either be active or passive. And for me, all of those projects were just actively trying to answer all the questions that I had or somehow get closer to the resources that I thought I needed or, you know, Actually, I knew I needed um, in terms of being an artist. So the first project, I think, I can't remember the year, um, No Holds Barred. So just kind of like a, a rough breakdown of that. You know, being an artist, being in the city, having a day job, great, got that settled. I'm making paintings at home, feel really good about it, but I still don't have any type of community. Mm-hmm. You know, no one that I can, like, do critiques with. And, and I'm self-educating in terms of, like, going to openings and going to shows, but... You know, the the things that I'm seeing are these big Chelsea galleries, and they're um, huge market-driven white boxes that seem extremely inaccessible and, yeah, yeah, almost unapproachable on a certain level. So, yeah, feeling a lot of frustration that I knew I was working very disciplined in a very disciplined manner. I knew a bunch of artists who I'd recently met working similarly, but we weren't necessarily receiving the recognition that I thought we deserved. Mm-hmm. And so it was on Facebook. Somebody said, you know, I have a gallery storefront in the Lower East Side. I need it rented out for the month of August. And at the time, I was thinking about taking a class, at just like a, you know, one-off kind of art history class or something like that. So I kind of thought about it, and I was like, you know what, for the price of taking a class, it's roughly the same amount to rent out this gallery space. In terms of programming, we've got a month. And and I ended up, the the person who posted that listing on Facebook, I ended up saying like, hey, I found out about this be- because of you. Let's do it together if you want. 
like I'll pay for the space, but then also feel free to do your own programming there because mm-hmm. you gave me this resource. So there you go. And so I think in a month's time, we put on five different exhibitions. And I think the grand total was like 30 different artists, designers, including yourself, mm-hmm. musicians, and just creatives were all involved in that month-long project. Yeah, um, that's a lot <laughs> in in a month's worth. Yeah. And also, um, at the very beginning of that, you were already kind of thinking of taking a class to kind of benefit yourself, right? You know, yeah, totally. Learning, and, and that always seems like an investment, you know, to yourself. And yeah. It's yeah. a good uh, thing to do, but instead you said, now nah, I'm going to take this money and, and put it into this gallery. Well, for me, comes out of it. for me, it was a course. It was still an education. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a crash course. So <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. It's a, it, I learned by doing yeah much easier, uh, and I'm more effective when I'm making as I'm going along. Than, yeah, of course. Than just hitting my head to a book over and over again. Yeah, and I mean, there's some you know, in terms of coming out of academia, you learn all these examples, but when you get into the practical, real world, they just seem very in like unobtainable. Mm-hmm. It's like you look at um, someone like. Um, like Stella, who had, you know, uh, show up MoMA in his 20s or something like that. And you're just like, how the fuck? Like, how does that yeah. happen? Like, where, where do I sign? Like, where do I get in line? Where do I? It seems like such a big jump. We weren't taught how to program a, a no. month long show or, or no. gallery exhibition in school. You're know, no. not taught how to reach out and get in contact with those people. So those are all things that you kind of have to learn on the on the role. Well, that's that's also looking back at things that I, I had been doing. I just didn't realize mm-hmm. so i had put on through <laughs> it was funny through the original um trenton um association of artists and through Rutgers. when i was at school i actually curated a show um and helped organize it and so i for some reason i reached out to them and i said like hey there are a bunch of like college students like wouldn't it be great if we just got five colleges in new jersey and we had art students like submit work so that everyone can have a show and so they were like, yeah, that's great. Like, we'll figure out the space and, like, you organize it and put the emails together and stuff like that. So I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I thought that they were doing a lot, like, they were actually organizing it. But, like, now that I look back, like, I was the one keeping track of everything sure, and sending emails. It. So I, I did curate a show when I was in college. And I was um, very involved with Thesis when we put our mm. show together. So these are things for one reason or another, I'm just innately drawn to. And and I had some, at least some kind of basis. I, I know there's there's you've gone on to put on a bunch of other programs and, yeah. and shows since then, mm-hmm. uh, but I think you kind of mentioned it earlier that uh, you had this kind of, um, you know, desire to, to build a community again, you know, mm-hmm. some, something similar to when you're in school. Um, you have the kind of resources in the community to, to get feedback on projects. And, and I, for me, even so, like, that's still very important. You know, you mm. need to have that kind of uh, that circle of, of trust or not so much trust, actually the opposite, right? You need to have a non-biased kind of yeah, community. Yeah, totally. Somebody, somebody who's going to actually, you know, give you an opinion to kind of chew on. How important in developing that community, how important has that been to kind of build that for yourself here? You know, leaving, graduating school, moving to Brooklyn, and then yeah. seeking out those kind of opportunities. I think a lot of the curatorial projects, the, you know, I didn't, I didn't leave with the foot of saying, like, I want a show so that everyone can say that they had a show, or I didn't. I didn't think of like, oh, I'm going to curate this thing so that I'm super awesome and said that I curated this thing. You know, the impetus for all those projects were like, I want a community. Like I see, you know, this artist whom I deeply admire and this artist whose work is amazing and I want to put them in a room and I want a real conversation to happen. And, you know, I just want to be the facilitator of all of that. And like, and in some way, like find a community through that do that experience. So there were never, yeah, never to any like titles or sure. anything involved. But yeah, through doing that enough times, I definitely <laughs> honed in on a community and, and kind of got my feet under me here and got to work with so many people, you know, throughout those different projects. For someone that's starting off, you know, younger students, things like that, what would you say some of that process may involve, like what that process may involve? Uh, in terms of like ending up with a giant show or 
or just any exhibition. <laughs> as simple as a, an exhibition, right? You know, I think coming out of school, you want to continue that, that energy and then show your work and get it in front of as many people as possible. Yeah, there's also, so in terms of going back to like these different standards of which one, we're taught in academia and two, um, help us kind of validate our existence as artists <laughs> is it's, you know, you can make and you can be a great maker, but on some level, it's it's not enough. Um, so on some level, there's this pressure to get this other external validation through shows or through different, you know, different people like noticing your work on some level. I guess Instagram is like a big thing now too, mm-hmm. especially for artists. But yeah, I, I don't, I think two years is a really good amount of time to give yourself where you know, the only things you should really be thinking about are like how to feed yourself and put your clothes on the right way. And like, you know, just figure out those practical things first, um, and continue to make diligently and, um, in a very focused disciplined manner, but don't put pressure on yourself in terms of, you know, having to show work immediately. Would you say that, um, you know, you mentioned Instagram, would you say things like social media have have sort of change that world it's a little bit more accessible in that sense where you know you can kind of come across people's work more freely yeah it's interesting i i'm a big um actually really like instagram um the way that i started using it was for all these curatorial projects um so i didn't i didn't really use it for my work or my personal life quite as much but i used it as a platform to like get these shows out there into the world and make sure that people knew what was going on and, you know, make sure people came to these different events, which was, which was really great, super helpful tool for me. I think I'll, I'm going to give a very idealistic <laughs> view as to what Instagram is because I, I don't know, I see the, I see the good in it and I see the potential to have a platform where you can just express yourself, create your own content, figure out your ideas, figure out your message I think for so many creatives, it's it's really useful into like laterally give information and share resources. I think that's the whole point mm-hmm. um, is moving away from something that's like, oh, I have this resource, let me buy it. You know, instead instead Instagram's more of like I can still see this visual piece, I can still enjoy it, or I can still learn about this information, but I don't. Ha- it's all free, which is a whole different kind of platform. Or way so of you're thinking. using it as a as a learning resource. Oh my gosh, it's a, super valuable. Yeah, and you know there's some level which it's not the only resource by any means. Mm-hmm. It's anything you want it to be. So for me, I'm able to get a lot of news from it, or select which galleries I want to follow, select which artists I want to follow, and just and really keep like little short soundbite clips of like whatever's going on, and then delve in further when I feel like I need to supplement information. You know, so much of the last 20 years in terms of what it means to, like, have your work shown is to rely upon, um, like, a gallery to represent you Mm -hmm. or to develop those types of relationships where you entrust somebody to show your work, get your work out there, find collectors. In a way, it's like I can't help but think of Brancusi, the sculptor who who would like make the work, but then he would also photograph it and then he'd Mm -hmm. document it. And then he'd like write the press releases for it. And he would just do every step of the way for his work with his work. And there's something about that in Instagram that I can't help, but kind of of shove in one box together (laughs) in a a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. More, more of the, uh, kind of tasks in the process. Yeah. You have, you have the power, you know, you have the potential at least, you know, to kind of do what you need to Mm -hmm. do. Um, granted you might be an awful photographer and totally, you know, somehow it pushes you though to kind of, to be better in those, in those kind of aspects that are less primary to you every day. And I think it's really telling of our generation, um, this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that lives on is it could be good. It could be bad, but like everyone is responsible for what they're putting out there and their content and Mm. how to kind of navigate that virtual space. I want to get into some of the work that you've recently done. Um, you participated in art in odd places. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I think that's something I've seen you do since 
pretty much graduating. I know you've been involved with that. Could, what is the that kind of whole? Is it? It's almost like a festival. In yeah, a sense. yeah, yeah. Uh, Art and Odd Places. Uh, we just wrapped it up in October. Phew! It's a beautiful, beautiful festival. Uh, this year was the 14th year it's been going on. The originator and the director Ed Woodham conceived of the idea as this um, performance festival that would happen all along the stretch of 14th Street. And so there would be performances intermittently, kind of guerrilla style. So there are no permits involved, and you're just navigating with the, you know, the sidewalk population of New York City. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you're if you're a pedestrian walking and you're doing your grocery shopping or something like that, or you're a tourist that's kind of wandering around Union Square, you would kind of stumble upon these like really bizarre performances up and down the street. And so. Yeah, and so it kind of started there, and like I said, this was the 14th year. Each year, there's a different curator that's invited. So this year, the curator was Katya Grokoski. Um, she she is an interdisciplinary artist, um, so some of her work is performance, but also drawing, sculpture, um, kind of different elements to it. We decided to do an open call this year, which was the first year. Usually, it's um, curators will invite different artists, so to do an open call is like a whole, a whole other monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we did that. Um, this was the first year we had a gallery component to the show as well. Usually it's just a four-day performance festival, and if you see it, if you see it, if you don't, then missed out. Oops. And then I think we had a um, a delimitation this year in the sense that it was only female or non-binary identifying artists were to be involved. So, and there, there were males involved um, in, in the project, but it was if it was a collaborative effort, kind of spearheaded by you know by one of the other artists. So, what were some of the topics that you know you, you saw in some of the pieces that performed this year? Yeah, the overall the curatorial theme this year was body, and so and so a lot of it was just I guess a lot of it was like identity, body, but we um, we really tried through that open call to just get a really diverse understanding of what that meant. So sometimes it was really physical. Mm-hmm. So it was um, a performer just using their body within space and how people would interact with their presence, both on the sidewalk and in the gallery. There was another project that was, was really awesome that was um, a grant. So somebody who was like walking all up and down 14th Street, um, asking people to get involved with this grant. Um, so there would be a number of different categories that people would make themselves. And then people would would um, like vote, and with their vote, they would donate money as well. And so eventually, I think it amassed, I can't remember how much the final total was. But over the course of four weeks, amassed a certain amount of money, and whichever grant won, that's what the money would go to. Oh, cool. So that's also like a body, in a sense astrological bodies you know all so diff- all different, different kinds of thinking out yeah we tried to and also you know age was a factor as well the whole we tried to include the whole spectrum you end up with this wide kind of array of different interpretations yeah and, and makes you think because i didn't even you know when you mentioned that i was like where is this going back to body yeah totally but you know that definition is very could be very broad yeah yeah and so we tried to really highlight the ones that you know, of course, you're going to think of the body, the body, the body. You know, we saw a lot of breasts and a lot of vaginas and applications, sure. you know, I mean, that's, constantly. And that's also been a very immediate topic um, in kind of culture today, you know, body yeah. and, and awareness and things like that. So I think you can easily kind of go to that space. Yeah. Taking yeah. a step away from that, right, is, it was sort of some of the point. Well, we were, we were able to really pull a wide breath. And I think it's it's worth it to say, too, that we had 43 different artists or collaborative groups, um, nationally, internationally, meet together in, in one space and one performance festival to do it this year, which is just awesome. a lot, <laughs> a lot of people. You also participate in art, art in odd places. Um, yeah. but you also have a series that hangs in your studio here, um, that I've, I've come to enjoy uh, watching you kind of come up with this. It's called the FOMO series. Yeah. Which yeah. Is fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come to, you know, where did the idea come from to do a series around that? Yeah. Um, or a body of work, really. It's not so much as a series. You kind of have continued to push what, what it can be. This series or the work that's around us right now, just to describe it a little bit, it's fairly abstract and it's very contingent upon color and scale. 
um, very formal things, but there's this reoccurring motif of kind of these two ovals, um, very centrally positioned. And for me, this is a shape that I stumbled upon during undergrad for thesis. Uh, let me think. It included three different, three different panels, but, um, one of them was this like mask-like shape, this face with these eyes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was somehow conflating, um, like ancient masks, um, either in like pre-Columbian art history or Egyptian art history, Greek art history. The idea of how different rulers would represent themselves and have control over how their image was proliferated culturally, our day-to-day experience with something like social media, like Facebook, and how we are very much in control of, like we kind of mentioned before a little bit, we're in control of what images we put out, how we edit things, basically our virtual persona in a way. And so that's when I started thinking about kind of those ideas. But since then I've, you know, I did that one piece in undergrad left it for about three years, came back to it a little bit, left it again. And so this is kind of the third time I'm coming back to it. But um, I think I'm particularly and noticeably emphatic about it. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting that you uh, went back to, to work that you had done years ago. You know? Yeah. I mean, not, it's, I don't want to say years ago. Like, it's so long I know, ago. I know, I know. Mean, it, it hasn't been long, it's but funny to think revisiting that. City time is particularly long, too, because you'll <laughs> yeah. meet somebody and you'll be like, you know, you know, I've met so many people and you get so close and then you're at an opening and they're like, how long did you guys know each other? And you look at each other and you're like, known you for like six months but like (laughs) we hang out every day yeah so it's the same thing um you know technically this is kind of it's it's been at the forefront it's also been on the back burner for maybe like five years now it's presenting itself very strongly and so i'm kind of just following that thread and just being as obsessed as as i need to be with this particular shape i would call Mm. it a shape i want to kind of switch over we could go on forever and talk about all the work that you've done in since uh, we've met, and there's a lot that we haven't covered here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also kind of want to touch on a little bit of, of, you know, what are you doing outside of your studio when you're not uh, putting in the hours, you know, working on your projects and uh, your different um, kind of initiatives? Like, how, where does Katie find time to relax and <laughs> actually Ooh. decompress a little bit? I'm a really, I'm a really bad example of that um mostly because i'm just i'm like horribly obsessed with this mm-hmm. so for me it's like i get so i've you know i i really wish i had a hobby but <laughs> <laughs> but this is like this is it for me so i get you know it's like the endless carrot that's like in front it's just there's always something to be working towards and mm-hmm. i'm horribly goal-oriented so, and it's exhilarating. Like, any time anything ever gets too comfortable, I always am bound to switch things up a little bit and to not make things harder, but um, see how far I can push things. Uh, I have gotten, in- <laughs> have gotten into reading more, which is really nice. Sure. I recently switched up my work schedule, so I'm working more freelance now. I would say my day-to-day is to be in the studio like three days a week, but also supplement those other days with um, writing proposals, either curatorially or for different residencies. Um, so hopefully in 2019, there will be a decent amount of travel and I'll be able to kind of explore dialogues that are outside of New York City and yeah, just grow in that way through those experiences. You also just, um, you moved from Brooklyn back into back into Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. Um, with your husband now, uh-huh. Ben. Yeah, um, one of my favorite guys. <laughs> uh, how's that? How's that been? You know, I, I think you know I've worked in in Brooklyn, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of beautiful little bars and restaurants. Um, you know, do you find that you're also kind of stumbling around into these wonderful little corners in the city as well? Oh yeah, yeah. So I moved. Um, from Prospect Lefferts Gardens in Brooklyn to the East Village in Manhattan. Um, it is a little bit, it was a little bit of a shift. I realize I have a very hard time moving um, <laughs> because I was moving apartments, but I was also moving my studio space, so June 1st. So it was a little, all, a little bit You're disorienting. Doing that at the same time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> 
so you have like two sets of movers two sets of boxes uh, i was the yeah i was totally Yikes. moving um i had resources which is great but i was also physically yeah kind of running around and stuff but yeah i'd say since then i've gotten into like a really nice pace of life east village is cool there are definitely it is luckily still a neighborhood although it's mm. you know it's the village. It's still it's still nice and cozy somewhat. Oh yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say the East Village is co- cozy. <laughs> it's a little, you know, it's still got an edge to it. It's a little scary. You know, I I, I, I guess uh, it feels warmer than the rest of the city because it is more of that neighborhood kind of vibe. It's definitely a vibe. Yeah, it's which is great. And so in a neighborhood, as opposed to different parts of Manhattan, have gotten totally, you know, Cold. gone totally totally commercial. Yeah. Um, and they're long gone. Um, plus real estate is like incredibly untouchable in different places so that's still one pocket where it's somewhat reasonable you can actually uh potentially attain a place and rent and yeah yeah yeah. it's not like you're not like selling your soul and your your children's souls yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's still you can still swing it um but yeah I, i don't think there's you know having lived in both places now um they both have different amazing beautiful aspects to them there's a different pace in manhattan and i feel really lucky to just be close to so many galleries Mm. that was kind of the thought of moving there and you know i've definitely take seized that opportunity do you have any favorites in the village because i know i i don't know of any names necessarily that pop up i know where to walk i know what streets to walk to to stumble into a few but do you have any kind of that stand out to you that you just find yourself going back to yeah and in terms of the east village gallery yeah scene yeah in the Um, neighborhood yeah i would say i mean a personal favorite for me is the hole i really like the hole Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that technically fits in it might be soho or something like that but i love their programming um I definitely follow along with them. There's Turn Gallery, mm-hmm. which I can't remember what street it's on. I think it might be first, um, but that's right down the street. And I've I've seen their past two shows, and they're really fantastic. There are a bunch of uh, like artist pop up spaces in the East Village that I kind of stumble upon once in a while that are really awesome. Freight and Volume is right down the street. Yeah, there there are a ton, um, kind of in the Lower East Side area, but I follow pretty closely. I know you mentioned a little bit that, you know, you like to try to mix up your schedule. So when you're not in the studio, you're writing proposals and, um, you know, trying to work more on getting outside of the city as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But are there any other big plans that you have for, you know, the coming, you know, for 2019? Uh, 2019, I'm definitely... Um, Be careful because if you say it on on audio, you're gonna have to hold yourself to it. Oh, I, I hope don't think so. you. I don't think you'll have a problem I really with that. Hope though. So. Um, it's it's been interesting, you know, tracking the last couple years, coming into the city and leading with the curatorial foot, while not secretly, but you know, in the meantime, starting to kind of percolate this uh, studio practice, and now I feel like they're both they're on a more even playing field, and I want to keep that balance. I really do. Curating is a part of my self-education, so it's it's a matter of putting on a different hat and learning and being social and still keeping in touch with what's going on. So hopefully a couple of curatorial projects, but maybe making them bigger in terms of scale, you know, in 2019. So maybe just like one bigger project instead of like 10 different pop-ups sure. or two or you know, <laughs> one big one, and then maybe yeah. only five. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's a really it's a really um, addictive kind of energy. Yeah, and I, I don't think as much as I say I'll stop, I don't think I'll stop sure. doing that. It's hard to for me as well. I, I it's hard to say. Uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna give myself another two years of doing this, and then you know try to slow things down. I'm like I don't know. I don't know if yeah, there's an end, yeah. if there's a stopping point yet. Yeah, I don't think you should. Well, in your twenties, I don't. <laughs> I mean, we're it, still very young as well. So. Yeah, true. Um, so yeah, yeah, kind of it, not slowing down, but just like a reframing of like, okay, so what do I want from my projects? What mm. do I want to say? What do I want my artists to get out of it? Because technically, I'm not trying to sell work necessarily, sure. um, which is a little counterintuitive. But I am trying to give any artists that I work with as much of a platform as possible. 
um, and get them as much recognition as possible for the work that they've done. So navigating what that means in 2019, I think. And then in terms of me and my own practice, I've managed to just step away from applying to grad school so many times where, you know, for the last four or five years, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. Um, and so now it's it's more or less like I have more time with like a more freelance schedule. So let me just see. I know of all these resources that exist around the city, but maybe I've had a job that's made me too tired to really go for it. Let me see if I go for it. Let me see what happens. At the very least, since August, between August and now, I think I sent out 30 different proposals. Um, wow. Yeah. And I don't think anything, there might be another show before the end of the year. Maybe something will happen before the end of the year. But um, I'm really going to try and just be patient and calm and send out the last couple of proposals between now and to you know the end of 2018. I wish you the best of luck. And, and just you saying that kind of gives me the energy. I'm like, oh man, I really need to pick up what I'm doing now before the, the, the year is over. So no, um. I mean, I mean, I hope, you know, sometimes I get halfway through writing a proposal and then I, on some level, like I realize like, no, maybe I just don't need that right now. Or I think genuinely you have this energy about you that um, is hard to not uh, also catch. So Mm. I think I appreciate that. And I think that's what um, kind of one of the best qualities that I've come to realize and, you know, and and meeting you when we were were younger in school and, and, you know, to where you are today. So thank you. Yeah, Um, thank you, dude. You're you're looking to have a few big projects in 2019. Where can Mm -hmm. people get in touch to potentially work with you or just kind of find out about your work and find out more about you? Uh, In terms of Instagram, I have a couple different handles. (laughs) I guess the the main one that I'm trying to shunt people to is um, Katie Hector Art. I have a private account, which is slightly more personal, um, which is just my name, Katie Hector. And then in terms of my nomadic gallery space that I co-direct. Sign Gallery is um, at S-I-N-E underscore gallery. So those are the three Instas. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. Yeah, thank Thank you you for for coming. Thank you for listening to this episode of WellFed. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and made possible by all the amazing people that agree to be my guests on this thing. Music is also provided by my friend Kevin Bendis out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. If you have any suggestions or ideas for people that you'd like to hear from, go ahead and DM them to me on Instagram at wellfed.us. If you like listening, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go to the website wellfed.us for more episodes. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye!